Well, uh, good morning. Thank you for that, Randy. Uh, that was kind. Can I say Randy is one of my favorite people? <laughs> um, it is fun to be back, actually. The last time I was here was during COVID. And uh, I, I, I sat here alone in this building. And you were all kind of plugged in on your computers. And it was, I think it was January, and uh, it was cold. <laughs> it was cold. And I remember Randy being, Randy, so kind. He says, uh, hey, when you come on in, you're going to be here by yourself, but just turn up the thermostat a little bit. And so I turned it up, and I kept my coat out the whole time until I was ready to stand before the camera and, 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 and speak. And, uh, you know, you pulled it off. As I pulled off my coat, I thought about we as, as the church pulled off something that we never experienced in our lifetimes. And that is how do we gather? How do we identify? How do we follow in the midst of sometimes this, this isolation? Uh, so I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to see your faces. It's a little bit easier to speak to a face that's in the audience than, than a computer screen or a camera. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you um, about the beautiful aspects of growing, of changing, of our transformation. A very good mentor of mine has said that the greatest gift that we bring to life, uh, to our families, to our friendships, to our place of work, is our, our growing, changing self. Now that sounds beautiful and, and easy, but like a great kind of work of art or a great performance on an athletic field, or even a, a stage play. What seems easy often required a lot. And so this morning I'm going to talk to you about the beautiful uh, part and some of the things that maybe make our spiritual living, our life within God, challenging for us. So I want to jump right in and I want to tell you the first thing that I'm going to say to you and that way if you do want to nod off, you can. Uh, uh, it's okay when you're tired, sometimes that's what we need, right, is, is to rest. But if you want to nod off or if you want to grab a cup of coffee or go to the restroom, you can, you will not miss anything if you hear this first part. And that is this. The invitation of God to you and I, what is really great news is one of life and life to the fullest. That's it. The invitation to God to us is one of life. And that our living life to the fullest, though, will not come by adding. It will come by subtracting, of learning to let go, learning to live spiritually and life to the fullest does not come by increasing and gathering or knowing more and more 
information and data points, but rather by our cooperating, our participating in transformation. So I want to give a heading to my first point, a subheading to my first point. The invitation to God to us is for life. It will be not by adding, but by subtracting. Not by information, but by transformation that we grow. My second sub-point is that the invitation of God to us will not take the form of rigid conformity to rules and regulations of any kind or pursuit of moral perfection or moral perfectionism, but rather through our living communion with God and all that exists within God. And so my sub-point for this is living in radical oneness and communion with God. There you have it. So those of you who do want to nod off, you got it. You got the whole message right there. Um, so living life to the fullest, the invitation to God, to you and to me, is to live a full life. It will come by that place, not of information, but transformation and through radical oneness. My own journey now has taken me to the 63rd year of my life. Lots of ups and downs. Lots of steps and missteps. I'm learning to recognize the invitations of God uh, in me, around me, around you around us. I believe that most of the coming of God to us, what is spiritual, comes to us by way of invitation. We often want the coming of God to us to be supernatural, miraculous. And you can quote me on this, but I believe 99% of God's coming to you, coming to me, is by way of invitation. Seeing the invitations of God, even when they may be obscure or hard to see it. And maybe that's a pretty good definition of faith, by the way. Seeing and knowing the invitations of God when it's hard. And then moving in that direction. Now, Scripture has some beautiful examples of invitation, uh, invitations from God that I want to share with you. The first is from Deuteronomy. You've heard it before. Moses is speaking to God, and he says this, these simple words, I've set before you life and death. Oh, that you would choose life. Jesus said these words. A thief comes to steal and to destroy. I have come that you would have life and that you would have life to the fullest. Do you hear, do you see the invitation in those verses? 
Sometimes we need to hear those invitations to ourselves. Sometimes we need reminding from others. Reminded that God really wants what's best for you. God is for you. God holds you. God is as close to you as the very air that you are breathing right now. I love the writer of the book, The, Tr the Cloud of Unknowing. If you are unfamiliar with uh, that title, the author of it is unknown. Interesting. The Cloud of Unknowing and the author is unknown. Uh, scholars believe that he was a he or she was a religious monk or a nun in England. And yet this person's work has shaped so much of the church and of spiritual living. It's, it may seem odd for us to want to quote somebody who's unknown. In our, in our kind of modern sensibilities, we kind of look and say, wait a minute, if we don't know who it is, well then it it's not very truthful. It's, it's, it, we can't verify it. Is it make-believe? Many of the ancient and, and medieval writers, spiritual writers of the church, their contributions were often unnamed. And they were unnamed not to diminish their authority, but to increase it. And you can ask, well, how is that? See, they believe that their name they're taking their credit, would bring attention to the wrong place. Now, while they didn't have a modern understanding of the word ego, and they didn't understand intellectual and property rights that mark our day, they were very aware of pride. And so they didn't want to be named because the attention would be then not on the person, but upon that which they were pointing to. Well, this writer of the cloud said these words, and I want you to hear it. I think it can be grounding. I think it can be stabilizing. He said, God is your being, and what you are, you are within God. God is your being, and what you are, you are in God. The invitation we move through life with is to know our being within God. It is this connection point that we all have been graced with. I believe it is the ever-present, the ever-drawing thing that exists in this world, whether it's named, whether it's understood or not. I would compare it to or give an, uh, an understanding that it is like uh, the imperceptible presence of gravity that marks our world that exists here and has always existed on this planet. And it existed in this planet before Isaac Newton named it. Gravity reminds us of our home, doesn't it? 
It says we are here as we sit, as we stand, and as we walk. This is our home. So it is our, with our connection with God. God is our home. We are pulled there. It always pulls. It always moves us towards what is life and what is our homeland. And like gravity's reality before Newton, whether anyone can say what that's about, we know that God the Spirit is drawing all men and all people and women to himself. So let me try to describe something of that pulling, some of that drawing that exists in this world, but is always not recognized as such. If you were to ask a, a rich person or a poor person or an abled-bodied person or a disabled person or an educated person or an uneducated person, a person of any race, of any language, a series of questions and ask them, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be safe? Do you want to be secure? Do you want to flourish well? What do you think the answers would be? Yes. Yes. We're all that way, every one of us. When I meet with pastors, I will often do a time of prayer with them, and I will ask them in the midst of their prayer, what is it that you want most at the end of your life for your life to be marked by? If you could name two or three things that say, this is most important to me, in this place of prayer, what would you say that they are? And you know the answers that they give? are remarkably similar to each other, that what they want most, what you want most, is to, to love, to love well, to be faithful, to care well, to be present, present to others as we move through life. Could we say that that longing and that pursuit of each of these things is something that not just reflects our being human, but something deeper still about all of us. What it reflects is something that marks the image of God upon us. They reflect that we all are, no exception here, none of us are accepted from this, want something more and meaningful with our lives. And that which we want exists within God. The choices that we make to be happy, the choices that we make to be healthy and safe and flourish, to love and to be loved, can be vastly different from one another. But what is underneath that actual choice remains constant. And can you see where that comes from? That desire, that longing, does that make sense? Now I want you to ask you something deeper still. 
And if you can really see it, it will help you to live well. Can you see how our longing and all that we have is something that we share in common with everyone? And can we see deeper still yet than that, that where that comes from is God? Yet the truth be told, I have stood often in resentment and in judgment, in accusation and criticalness of how people have pursued happiness, how people have pursued what they hoped for in life and longed for. Jesus said these words, very simple words. He says, judge not. Do you hear the invitation in that? You can hear it as a command. You can hold it up as a standard. Or you can hear the invitation. Jesus is saying, live differently. Judge not, lest you be judged. As you measure, guess what? It will be measured. The one who is measuring, though, is not God. The one who is measuring is you. When we misunderstand each other and want to condemn or judge, we can hear the invitation of God saying something deeper to us still about ourselves, about others. The truth of it is, my friends, we are all on a good journey. We are all in process. None of us have arrived yet. The Spirit being present in this world draws us, and it says, learn, change, grow. Grow from your missteps. Grow from your uh, successes. Grow from your failures on this journey. Learn the pull of God in those things that mark your ambition and your fears, your anxieties and courage, and become the fullness of that which is the life of you within me. When we stand in judgment of another human being, it is often because I'm only seeing them incomplete, unfinished, an object. When I do this, when I stand in judgment, here's what also occurs. I place that person or that group on a dot, on a line, the line is our growth and our becoming. And if I only see the dot, I will miss out on seeing the longer journey of our becoming and changing. What is their process? I wrongly believe that when I see a person and place them on the dot, they are there permanently and forever in that place when they are not. The second thing we do when we judge another human being is, as a dot on the line, is that we separate ourselves from that person or that people. We label them, not me, not us, and we give ourselves permission then to ignore, to dismiss, sadly often even to mistreat we do so because I see myself separate and separated from you. And you are not me. 
and we miss out on seeing God by our separating ourselves and our inability to connect with. We can learn to be less judgmental when we see the whole line of someone and the process and the line that they are on. We begin first, though, by seeing it where? Here, in ourselves. Do you see yourself on a journey, on a line of changing, of becoming, of being pulled by that gravity towards that which is your home, that which is God? We are all on the line, my friends. We all need the richness of God's grace to do so. If we cannot see this in ourselves and show grace here, we will not be able to do it with others. See it in yourself. See yourself on that line of, being, of becoming that marks your life within God and let it flow. I want to move from declaring what God invites us to now in terms of life to the fullest to what can be some of those chief barriers or maybe substitutions that we use in participating in the spiritual life. The first misstep or the substitution that I think we use for the spiritual life, I did kind of mention earlier, is that when we confuse the spiritual life and adding more and more information rather than transformation. The scriptures declare this in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't be conformed or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know, test and approve, what is God's good's will. How do we know God's will? It's by our wholly participating in our transformation, our change. The renewing of the mind, though, is more than recognizing skills. It's more than reasoning. It's more than analyzing. Scripture memorization, which I love and I've done a lot of it in my life, is a good thing. I'm all for it. But you can memorize the whole New Testament and not be changed. You can earn multiple PhDs in theology and still not know God. I remember a point in my life while I was serving in ministry within the church and taking seminary classes, and I went to seminary when I was a bit older, and I remember taking some courses in, in systematics towards my MDiv, and I remember all the arguments that I was having with people on staff. With, I was at one time on staff with crew, and, and I remember... Uh, how strongly I defended God and how strongly I defended our beliefs and how strongly I defended uh, the church. And then I remember at that time just being utterly exhausted by it all. And worse yet, I felt empty. And I remember being with a colleague who was a little bit older than me and saying to him, you know something, I don't want to defend God anymore. I don't want to defend the church anymore. I, I just want to know God myself. Do you know that longing, that gravity that pulls you to say, what I really want more than knowing about God is to know God. 
my problem was that I thought information and getting more and more and more and more data points and skills was my transformation. I confused that information with transformation. I studied, I learned, I memorized, I argued, I witnessed. And I again came to know that you can know a lot about God and not know God. It's like the wise teacher who was teaching his students and pointing to the moonrise on an early morning sky. And the students were so enthralled with his pointing that they failed to look at the thing that he was pointing to. They never turned and experienced with their own gaze the moon that he was pointing to. We sometimes do that thing in church with our teachers, our commentaries that we read, our podcasts, our book, book, uh, book writers. We forget that they are only pointing. But what we all need, what we all need to know firsthand is our experience with God himself. It's easy though, I know it's easy to confuse the map for living in the land. Sometimes we, we look at a map and we go, I know what it's like to live there, I've been to Germany. But I can look at a map of Germany, I, I, well, I know a lot about it. And we confuse the experience of of knowing a map for being in the land. Or we confuse the experience of reading a beautiful and wonderful description of a steak on a menu and realize that the experience of tasting the steak for ourselves. We can feel passion and a desire for the description, but it's a whole nother thing to all together when we taste it for ourselves. Pastor Randy commented in the beginning of the, the psalmist saying, deep calls to deep. But the deep calls to deep is exactly what we're beginning to see. The deep calling to deep is this, that deepest part of you, what is your soul, calls not to the surface of things, not to the superficial, but it calls to the deepest part of that which exists, and that is within God. And guess what? The deeper part, deepest part that exists within God calls out to you and to your soul. It's what marks this journey that we're on. The spiritual writers of the church believe that our knowing God is to be experienced. But here's the crazy thing, and, and please don't misunderstand this point that I want to make. Words are good. Words are great. We need them. We need them for communication and trying to explain things. I need them every day. I need them with you right now. My wife says I have too many of them. <laughs> but all words, in the end, can only point. Study the scriptures. Know what this living, sacred text says to us. It offers guidance, but it points you to God. Knowing in God engages our reason, but knowing God is never reduced to reason. 
knowing God is something that can be deeply felt, but it is never reduced to a feeling or to a sentiment. It can be something that is both obvious and less than obvious. Elijah stood on the mountain, it says in 1 Kings, and it says these words, Go and stand out on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard this, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went away and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a still small voice that said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you hear the invitation? Transformation, the spiritual life, is the posture of our changing and becoming. It is our faith that participates, it cooperates internally with that which is coming from God to us, for us. Transformation is like this. When there is no love present, put love and you will find love. I wish I could say that was mine. That's St. John of the Cross. Crazy, isn't it, how mad we can be at others for not being loving and think the answer to that is by not being loving? I would add when we, don't see dis when we do see despair all around us, transformation puts in hope. When hatred and violence are seen in many places, it puts in kindness. This is the spirit of God in this world. This is not a wishy-washy Pollyanna kind of living. It's incarnational. It's present because God is present. I received a glimpse of this transformation in rereading re the last speech of Martin Luther King before his death. He was receiving death threats daily against him, growing hatred was mounting and anger towards him. He said at the end of the speech, from a place of knowing God and being with God, here's what he said, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will be get to the promised land. Where there is no hope, put hope, and you will find hope. Where there is no love, put love, you will find love. In the 14th century, a spiritual writer by the name of Julian, Norwich, Julian of Norwich received a number of what she called showings or revelations from God. I like the word showings. She said the showings came in the midst what uh, Europe, uh, historians of Europe called the Dark Ages. There was war, there was disease, there was rebellion, there was unrest, starvation, feudal strife everywhere. And she penned these words in her divine showings. All shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. 
That's not Pollyanna. Her belief, the drawing of God in her life, the pull homeward towards God, recognize that we know the ultimate ending, don't we? We know who holds all things. We get the true ending. God is there. And as God is there, He is there at the beginning, He's there in the middle, and He will be. In the midst of chaos and fear, the end is not chaos and fear because God is here. Some of the net effects of holding information or tra- and not our transformation in our spirituality is our inability to be welcoming and caring for people because of our rigid and uncompromising data points. Whereas we could be the people gathered to welcome, the people gathered to bring healing, pointing, supporting one another on the good journey of change and growth, we instead are often angry, often disappointed, separated in our life, in our practices. We live separated from others because of our critical judgments. And please hear me, I'm, I'm not pointing here at you. As much as I'm saying that, I hope you hear that I'm aware of this in my own life. We are separated from others because of our judgments and we're unable to hear that sometimes that pull of the Spirit to say, here, put in love. Here, put in hope. It often happens, though, when we elevate information over our transformation feeling the need to accumulate more and not be changed by all the, net, the data points that we have. My final sub-point or substitution for the spiritual life and what keeps us from a life of living to the fullest is when our motivation to grow or to change is largely marked by the pursuit of moral perfectionism or superiority and not by our radical communion and oneness with God. When I served as a pastor at a local church for 21 years, I often spoke and taught about being conformed to the image of Christ, and I could rock a sermon telling people they really need to know what it means to live the Christian life by giving them a list of things to do. Sadly, in our churches, shame works really well. If I could decode that phrase a little bit right now, I would say to be conformed to the image of Christ often meant for me, you must act like me. You must be like me. As I am like Jesus, so should you be. The problem was twofold. I failed in every shape and form to be like Jesus was morally. I set standards for myself and for others that no one could live up to. That's moral perfectionism. It's not the good news for humankind. And I kept preaching it. I wrestled with why I did so, and it's complicated. It has many layers to it, but here's what I can share with you. I never liked who I was. 
I always liked who I was trying to be. I never liked who I was. I liked the image that I wanted you to see of me. I don't think that's conformity to Christ. Keeping a mask on and thinking yourself better than others. We are only ever like Jesus when we share in what Jesus shared with God the Father and God the Spirit. And what is shared and what we can share in because of Christ is nothing more and nothing less than communion. Radical oneness with the Godhead and all that exists within God. Now let me tell you where I see this communion and radicalness, radical oneness that is in Scripture. And it's from um, the Gospel of John. It was on the last night before Jesus' arrest and Jesus prayed something that radically changed my understanding of the Christian life and, and the spiritual journey. Jesus prayed these words. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us, that the world will may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, but they, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and loved me even as I have loved. My friends, radical oneness and communion with God is the invitation because it is your source of life. It is the trajectory for your life and it will be the completion and the consummation of your life that which is your source, that which is your change, that which is, is your destination is the same thing. It is God in you. The theologian and doctor of the church, Athanasius, in the fourth century observed this. He said, for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Now what he's not saying there is that we are God Almighty. That's not what Athanasius taught. But what we are in our source, where we come from and where we are going is in God. It's not the data points. It's not the behavior. It's not the moral perfectionism that we often pass on as spirituality. What we share with God is that which marks us. And it is our strongest witness. When God sees us and when he looks at you and when he looks at me, what he sees is who we are. What we do is we compare and we compete. We see our mistakes and we see the mistakes of others. We see our flaws and the flaws of others. We see our failings and the failings of others. We see our sin and we see their sin. And harshly we judge ourselves. I need to be better. I need to be more. I need to be faster, stronger. 
we see what is unlovable. And we see what is unlovable in others. God does not. What God sees and what God loves is not how you have navigated life perfectly. God sees you in development. And God sees you at your core. And what you are at your core is God's. God can no longer stop loving you than he can stop loving what he is. For you are his. Now I want to conclude with one final quote. It's one of my favorite, again, from Julian of Norwich. She says these words, Greatly, greatly ought we to rejoice that God dwells in our soul, and more greatly ought we rejoice that our souls dwell in God. Our soul is created to be God's dwelling place, and the dwelling of our soul is God. And she said, I saw no difference between God and our substance but as, that, but as it were, all God. And yet in her very humanness, she also said, and still my understanding accepted that our substance is in God. Can you imagine a life and a world around you living in communion and letting that be the marker of how we move through life. Communion with God, communion with one another, and all that exists within God. It is my hope, and it is my prayer. We're living in such a time in our world where we only see what separates. And we need to stand in that place not of separation, but of communion, of connection with, because it is the core of what exists in God. Mark led uh, the elders, of which I'm one, this weekend on an elder retreat. And he, whenever he... I engage a spiritual direction with Mark. He lights a Christ candle. And this weekend, he lit a Christ candle, and then he left it. So I have Mark's Christ candle. Here's the reason why I love this candle. The church, it, what we find that in, in, in what God has given to us is symbol. And symbol, so, much of us, so many of us grew up in high church where there was, we felt like there was too much ritual or too much symbol or meaningless ritual and symbol. But symbol is this rich, beautiful kind of way of taking what's unseen and making it seen. And so every time I sit down with Mark, he lights the Christ candle, the symbol that Christ is here with us. So I'm going to light the Christ candle. And as you walk up here, you can just pass by this Christ candle symbolizing the presence of Christ in us and with us. And then another symbol that we're going to participate in is that we do every week, which is the Lord's table, the Eucharist, communion, however you call it in your tradition. And the reason that we do this every week now as a church is not because 
it somehow makes us clean or right, taking in communion. But it's a symbol. It's again a symbol. And if you heard what I just said, this is something that we habitually say, we take communion, right? Did you take communion today? Are we taking communion? Well, here's the deal. You don't take communion. I believe you receive it. We receive, we respond to this invitation that Mark was talking about, this gravity, this life of God inviting you in deeper, inviting you in on this journey. And we receive, and when we receive this bread and this cup, silly COVID-friendly bread and cup, there's a symbol there that is you are receiving the very life of Christ. And so I'm going to invite our servers, Kathy and Conrad, to come up. And I'm going to invite, ask you guys as you give, instead of saying this is the body of Christ and this is the blood of Christ, say this is the life of Christ given for you. This is a gift that you're receiving. This is not something that you're taking. It's something that you're receiving, and that's the life of Christ. So that we, when we walk out these doors this morning, we can say, I received the very life of Christ. And so, Jesus, as you spoke those words to your disciples a couple thousand years ago, we receive them now. Take and eat. This is my body. Drink from this cup, all of you. For this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so, Jesus, we receive your very life. We ingest it and digest it and take it in and let it transform us in mysterious and beautiful ways. So when you're ready to receive that life of Christ, you can come up the middle aisle receive it and go down back down the side aisles.